The Gamecocks got another proverbial monkey off their back this past Saturday night by ending their winless drought against the Texas A&M Aggies. How did they do it, and what does this win mean for the program going forward? I'll discuss all that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss this week's matchup between the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Missouri Tigers on the SEC Network right here on Sling. Sling, the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. Your show, as always, for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and thank you once again for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch every single day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And man, what a Saturday night it was for the Garden Black Faithful in Williams-Brice Stadium. It was my first ever game actually covering in person as a media member. I was up in the press box watching the game unfold and take place. And I can attest from being at this football game, Williams-Brice Stadium was absolutely rocking on Saturday night. Probably the loudest that I've heard that stadium in quite some time. And for good reason. This is a big win for the South Carolina Gamecock football program. This is a huge win in terms of what Shane Beamer is trying to build in terms of the program and the perception that he wants the rest of the country to have of this football team. And there was a multitude of reasons for why this game played out the way it did. And we're going to discuss all of that on today's show. Now, Of course, I would start off with the offense, and I normally do start off with the offense, but I want to start off by talking about the defense because I think the defense really deserves a lot of credit for Saturday night's win for the most part because overall, the defense made enough plays when they needed to in order to help this team win the game, and they did this, again, in multiple ways. The first factor that you've got to throw out there in terms of how the defense played on Saturday night is definitely turnovers. Turnovers that led to points at the beginning of the game, which every single football coach in America would tell you, if you're going to get a turnover on defense and it's going to automatically equate to points on offense, they'll take that every single day of the week. When you look at Darius Rush's interception, I believe on the first offensive drive of the game for the Texas A&M Aggies, it was a play-action pass, I believe, by Haynes King on a deep comeback route to the bottom half of the field. And the throw was admittedly a little bit behind the wide receiver, but Darius Rush read the route for the most part. And when he saw the pass coming to the wide receiver for the Aggies, he saw, as he noted in his press conference after the game, immediately that the ball was going to be on that inside shoulder closest to him. So he knew that he had to make a play on the football. He knew he could be aggressive and just go get it. 
And that's exactly what he did. He wound up shedding that tackle attempt that pretty much happened right after he caught the ball. He took off down the sideline. Looked like it was going to be a pick six, but unfortunately there was one Aggie offensive player that was able to squeeze on through a few Gamecock defenders and was able to tackle him inside the 10. And it only led to a field goal, but the point being is when you look at that along with the kickoff return touchdown that Xavier Leggett got at the beginning of the game, which I'll talk about more in a little bit, Yeah, momentum was surging for South Carolina at that point. So that was a big play. And the momentum overall that both of these turnovers had were huge to start this game because the very next drive the Aggies had on offense, they wound up having a botched snap due to some miscommunication, which I would say was caused by the crowd noise from the fans at Williams-Brice Stadium on Saturday night. And the ball ended up magically almost bouncing straight to Tonka Hemingway, which I wish that, honestly, we could have talked to him after the game because I can't even imagine the look on his face when he looks up and realizes that the play is somehow started when he didn't think it was probably going to, and the ball all of a sudden is just floating right down right to where he is lined up at. So that was a big play in its own right because it led to a South Carolina touchdown and, again, a 17-point lead. Probably the absolute best start South Carolina could have ever wanted, no matter how those points got scored. So the turnovers were huge from the defense early on this game. Another thing that this defense did quite well on Saturday night, the pressure, the constant pressure that they brought in Haynes King and Connor Wegman's face during the course of this football game. I understand if you just look at the box score, yes, there was no sacks. However, if you go based off of just that statistical marker with this football game, you're underscoring what this unit did to this Aggies offensive front. What I noticed from this defensive line in particular on Saturday night was These guys were flying around. It seemed like the effort was really there, and it just seemed like they had a little bit of extra juice, to put it bluntly, against this Aggies offensive line. Now, of course, you could attribute that to a couple different things. You could attribute that to the fact that they were just coming off a bye week, which obviously gave them some time to rest and recuperate, both mentally and physically. You can attribute that to the Kentucky performance, which could have definitely helped them there as well. But the point is... They looked night and day different. And, of course, I'm not saying that they weren't trying hard in some of these other football games from earlier in the year, but they just seemed like that they had a little bit of an extra gear in their motor on Saturday night, and it showed in many different ways. Clay White's play calling in terms of blitzing and some of the different formations that he showed in this game. There was a 3-2-6 formation that he threw out there for the first time that I can ever remember since He has been here at South Carolina as their defensive coordinator. That was really cool to see. A lot of the exotic blitzes. I've never seen South Carolina bring so many corner blitzes in one football game. At least it's been a very long time since I've seen so many outside corners basically get asked to come screaming from the edge of the field and try to go in there and get after the quarterback. And you could tell how much it really affected the psyche of Haynes King, especially when he was in that football game. Clayton White is a different defensive coordinator, y'all. Since that first half against Charlotte, when the Gamecocks struggled to get off the field, they struggled to get to Chris Reynolds, who is a solid veteran college football quarterback for the 49ers. Ever since that first half, I don't know what happened at halftime in that game, but Clayton White's just completely changed how he calls plays now in a football game. He gets more aggressive. He's showing more looks. He's disguising more blitzes. He 
will show cover zero looks and then bring guys back in coverage. He's doing so much more in terms of really trying to mess with the minds of the quarterbacks that they are facing. And it's pretty clear, at least to me, that it's working right now against good teams, by the way. Talented teams. And the last quick note with this defense. The growth and maturation of certain players on the field is really showing with some of these guys. Whether it is maturation that's taking place from last year going into this year or maturation that's taking place during this season. If you're going to become a better football program, if South Carolina wants to get to higher levels like they used to be at back in the earlier part of the previous decade with this man as the head coach right here, not everyone's growth rate can be linear. And what I mean by that is not everybody can take two, three, four years to develop. That's just not a formula that is sufficient enough if you want to reach those kind of levels. You need to have positive outliers in that aspect. Guys like Tonka Hemingway, TJ Sanders, Nick Evan Worry, and DQ Smith, all four of these guys jumped off to me, on the field on Saturday night. These guys all flashed a lot of ability. Tucker Hemingway is just consistently making plays out there whenever he's getting his opportunities. TJ Sanders, he is going to be really good when some of these guys in front of him graduate or go on to the NFL, and he finally gets his chance to play significant snaps. I'm telling y'all, he is going to be an all-SEC caliber player when he gets his opportunity. Nick Emmett wearing DQ Smith. Darius Rush mentioned this after the game. Y'all, they're not just starting just because the Gamecocks need them out there. They're starting because they are not your average true freshman. These guys are handling the moment well, making big-time plays in these ball games. Nick Worry, nothing scares him in terms of trying to go after ball carriers, especially in rush defense. DQ Smith had a humongous fourth-down pass breakup late in the fourth quarter, which looked like it was going to ice the game for South Carolina. Of course, some things happened after that that made the game a lot more interesting at the end. The point being... They're getting this kind of output from guys that, you know, when the season started, maybe they would probably have said they wouldn't want to rely on these guys that heavily, you know, maybe because they would want the stars to be able to completely carry that load. But of course, that's not always going to happen that way. You need to have guys like this who can step up and South Carolina's defense is getting just that. Now, of course, South Carolina also had a tail two halves, once again, on the offensive side of the football. They had some both good and bad. When looking at Spencer Rattler's stat line after this game, would you have thought that he played really well? I'm going to have an interesting take on that and more in just a couple of moments. But before I do get into that, our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Lockdown College Network titled Thrilling Moments where we highlight the most exciting play from the South Carolina Gamecocks weekend game. This week's thrilling moment from the South Carolina Gamecocks matchup against the Texas A&M Aggies comes from the very first play of the game, where the Gamecocks kick return man Xavier Leggett received the kick a couple yards into his own end zone and ran it out down the right side of the field. He weaved through a couple of Aggie defenders, busted through a couple more, and with a couple of key blocks, ran down the sideline without one of his cleats, by the way, for a 102-yard kickoff return touchdown, which gave the Gamecocks an early 7-0 lead and a return that tied for the second-longest kickoff return touchdown in school history. Not a bad way to start a football game. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier Armada or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com.
Welcome back to this game recap edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so let's talk about how South Carolina's offense performed against the Texas A&M Aggies on Saturday night. Now, overall, this is a unit that in my mind is held back due to some play-calling tendencies that seem to always rear their ugly head in the first half. But they continue to collectively get things worked out in the second half. Now, a question that you could ask based off this synopsis is, can you live on that forever? That remains to be seen. But for now, things continue to go well for South Carolina's offense in terms of, again, doing what they have to do in order to get the win at the end of the day. Now, I want to ask all of y'all a question real quick. If I told you that against Texas A&M, Spencer Rattler would complete less than 50% of his passes for only 168 passing yards and zero passing touchdowns. Imagine you were asked this before the game actually took place. Would you have thought that South Carolina would have won this football game? It's okay if you say no, because a lot of college football fans, objectively speaking, would probably also say no. Now, here's a follow-up question. Would you have thought that Spencer Rattler played a good game overall based on that stat line? Once again, you would probably venture to say, well, no, I would assume he probably didn't play a good game. You would probably assume that he had a few interceptions that he threw in this football game. You would probably assume that some of those bad traits that are part of his game that have again, really matriculated earlier in the season and sometimes still pops up in some of these games that have occurred sort of around the halfway mark of the year are continuing to show. You would probably assume that all of that is contributing to this stat line. However, I would sit here and say to all of you that from watching the game on Saturday night, I thought Spencer Rattler played pretty well against the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, part of this was because of the offensive line. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Saturday night's matchup, in terms of how South Carolina's offensive line did against Texas A&M's defensive line, a defensive line that has a great mixture of solid veteran players and highly touted true freshmen. LT Overton, Shamar Stewart, uh, Walter Nolan, I think the second or third. You could go on and on about some of those guys. They passed the test on Saturday night. The offensive line, in my opinion, played their best game all year especially in terms of pass protection. I don't think anyone can deny them that. Spencer Rattler had a lot of time in the pocket on Saturday night to sit back there and really decipher what was going on in the football field. Sit back there, get a little bit comfortable, and feel like you know he had time to make his decisions. Obviously, that has also plagued this offense at certain times in this season, but this offensive line, in my opinion, has continued to get better in this aspect. Now, Another part of the reason why Rattler, in my opinion, played a good game on Saturday night was because of his decision-making in terms of the fact that he did not force unnecessary throws. He did not get frustrated to the point where, you know, because the secondary for the Yankees was blanketing South Carolina's receivers on certain plays, at least in the beginning part of the play, he just said, you know what, the heck with it. I see Austin Stogner standing right there. He's 6'7". I know he's got two guys on him, but I'm going to throw him the football anyways because I just want to make a play. I want to make a play happen. I did not get that from Spencer Rattler on Saturday night. And I think that shows growth. 
in his game. This pro-style offense at, at times, in my opinion, has sort of frustrated him to the point where he has gone back to sort of basically the old grip it and rip it mentality when throwing the football, which means at times he's going to put the football in harm's way. He did not do that on Saturday night. I think he ought to be applauded for that. I thought he did really well in terms of that. He also didn't just automatically take off outside of the pocket. And he made some big-time throws in this game. The one to Josh Van when he rolled out of the pocket on second and four due to some rare pressure, really, from this Aggies defensive front. And he made a really solid throw on the run to Josh Van, who was wide open down the field. He also had a back shoulder dime, in my eyes, that he threw to, ironically enough, Austin Stockner, right down the numbers on the top half of the field. And that was good for like a 20-yard game. That also, I think, was on his second or third down on that particular drive. There was also a lot of good passes that he threw that were not caught by his receivers. Now, granted, I'm not going to say all these passes were easy to bring down because, obviously, again, the Aggies secondary played really well on Saturday night, which was part of the reason why, at times, in the passing game, it was difficult to get things going. And usually, that guy was pretty much attached to the hip of whichever Gamecock receiver Spencer Rattler was targeting. And so there was a couple of throws where I think he threw one to Josh Van near the sideline. He had to spin around and catch it. And when he spun back around, either the defender dislodged it or he took a hard fall on the ground and the ground forces basically caused the ball to go out for an incomplete pass. Jalen Brooks had a near touchdown grab in the end zone. Now, again, you can't, you can't completely put that on him. He took a really hard landing. He literally laid out for that pass and it just didn't get reeled in. The point is, there was about three to five of those passes where they were dropped in that fashion on Saturday night. So I think that that skews the way this stat line looks for Spencer Riley because if those passes are completed, then obviously he's got more yards. He probably has a touchdown on there. He still doesn't have any picks. He's got a better QBR rating probably. You know, the, the QBR, I don't think, it doesn't account for all these external circumstances. So I just want to bring that up when discussing Spencer Rattler's performance, which again, I don't think the stat line tells the whole story regarding how he played against the Aggies. Now let's go ahead and address another component of this offense that made a lot of fans upset, in particular in the first half. Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator for the Gamecocks. Now once again, he managed to get things fixed on this side of the ball in the second half, but a lot of fans are wanting to know why is it this offense sputters so much, especially in the first half? Why is it this offense, despite how many games now they've played with each other, just seems to have a hard time getting into a flow, getting into a rhythm with each other? And I've got a long-winded answer for y'all to try and basically summarize why I think they do sputter so much. Too many times in this offense, the best players are sacrificed for either the loyalty to the scheme, which basically tries to get guys to play certain roles, even if it doesn't fit their skill set completely, or the best players on this offense are sacrificed for the sake of trying to be unique. That's sort of, in my opinion, a dual issue that occurs on South Carolina's offense throughout the course of a game in terms of the play calling. Now, I'm just going to, for the sake of time, address the latter part of the answer I just gave in terms of the best players on this offense being sacrificed to try and be unique, basically, or be stubborn in certain circumstances. Because Marshawn Lloyd, the star running back for South Carolina, is the biggest victim of this occurrence, of this particular situation. In the first half against the Aggies, Marshawn Lloyd had three carries for 11 rushing yards. Now, going into this game last week, for those of you who watch this show every day, and again, I appreciate you if you do so, I said that on offense, 
You have to be stubborn in this game by giving the ball to your best player, which right now is Marshawn Lloyd on offense. And yeah, that was the stat line he had. Now, of course, in the second half, I'm sure that some words were said, and Marshawn Lloyd all of a sudden got 15 more carries. He ended up with 18 carries total in the game, 92 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. He had like another 20, 24 receiving yards on like two catches. So once again, he came through for South Carolina when he was actually given the chance to. And I will say, there's one thing Satterfield is great at in terms of his play calling when he commits to it. And that's being diversifying the run game. But the issue in my eyes is that it's clear Coach Satterfield doesn't want to go all in on the run game early in a game like this one, a game that has really some stakes in it, like the one against Texas A&M or the one against Arkansas and Georgia from earlier in the season. He wants to air the ball out some, and he wants to do it early. It hurts South Carolina, especially against Arkansas, in my mind. And it could happen against Florida, Tennessee, or Clemson if this staff is not careful in terms of how they go about starting off a football game with their offensive strategy or game plan. Because good enough offenses from the opposing team, they're going to make you pay for that especially if you do not succeed early on with whatever strategy you do throw out there. Now, of course, with this win against Texas A&M, again, the Gamecocks got that proverbial monkey off their back. No longer do they have to hear how they never defeated the Texas A&M Aggies because now they have. The Benham Trophy is now coming to South Carolina. But what does this win mean going forward for South Carolina? What does it mean for how many wins they could get now to end this season? How does it help the perception or changing the perception for this program and what Shane Beamer is trying to build here? I'll touch on all that in just a few moments, but before I do so, let me talk to you all about an issue that maybe you have a friend you know that deals with this, or maybe there's a family member that you're quite close with that deals with this issue. Excessive underarm sweat, which can affect how people are able to dress every single day, whether it is in their casual life or whether it is maybe in their work life when they have to wear a dress shirt going to the office that day. Maybe to the point where they have to wear maxi pads in their shirt to soak up all the sweat. Because you probably just don't even want to think about it because it it sounds disgusting, but for some people, they cannot get around something like this. For some people, this is unfortunately an inherent condition that they have to deal with, and it can be quite the inconvenience in their daily life, which is why I need to talk to y'all about sweat block because sweat block has changed the game for a lot of people. It changed the game for a particular doctor who was dealing with the same issue. And so because of that, this product is doctor recommended. And I can tell y'all if that doctor has been using it for years and it's been recommended by other doctors in his or her field, then you know that this is the product that can be used to solve the problem of excessive underarm sweat. So if you know someone you love or care about that's experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor that is getting in the way of their everyday life, try SweatBlock today and save 20% with the promo code LOCKEDON at SweatBlock.com. Also available on Amazon. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so what does this win against the Texas A&M Aggies mean 
for the South Carolina Gamecocks now moving forward. In order to answer this question, we need to split this up into multiple different facets, multiple different lengths of time, so to speak. So let's just look at it in terms of the rest of this season for right now. South Carolina, with this victory against AM, a game in which a lot of people were not giving to them before this season, now has a great chance to surpass their win total from last year, which was seven wins. And if that's going to happen, this next three-week stretch is going to be pivotal. I'm not going to do a complete deep dive into all three of these games. I kind of touched on them really late last week. But in Week 9, the Gamecocks take on the Missouri Tigers at home. In Week 10, the Gamecocks take on the Vanderbilt Commodores on the road. Vandy is going to be coming off a bye week before that game happens. And then in Week 11, the Gamecocks will travel out to Gainesville for their final road conference game on the year where they will take on the Florida Gators. Now, you look at those three games. If you ask me right now, Andrew, how many wins should we expect out of this three-game stretch? In my opinion, it is an absolute failure if the Gamecocks do not win at least two of these three games. There's really no reason why they should lose two games out of this three-game stretch or all three. There just isn't. You have Missouri at home, of course. You've got the external motivation of the fact that Missouri's beaten you three straight years. Um, This has become a team now in South Carolina that seems like they are hellbound determined to end every losing streak that they have against some of their opponents this season. They've done it against Kentucky. They've now done it against Texas A&M. Is Missouri going to be next? We can discuss about all that, of course, throughout this week. Vanderbilt, you've beaten Vanderbilt 12, 13 years in a row, even when you've had some of your worst teams in program history during that stretch. Again, I'm rehashing a point that I mentioned last week. But the point is, you're way more talented than Vanderbilt. You should show that in that game, even if Vanderbilt has more time to prepare for you. Week 11 at Florida. This is probably the biggest 50-50 game in my eyes out of this three-game stretch. Florida, I do think, has some promising attributes from their team this year. They have a really solid rushing attack uh, with multiple running backs that can go out there and carry the low. They've also, of course, got Anthony Richardson, who... Uh, while he's quite inconsistent in the passing game, he's an absolute physical specimen back there at quarterback and can be a threat in the running game as well. Their defense is their Achilles heel, though. They cannot stop really anyone's rushing attack this season, and if that continues heading into this game against South Carolina, they'll have to deal with number one in Marshawn Lloyd, along with Christian Bill Smith and Juju McDowell at running back. So it won't get any easier for Florida when they take on the South Carolina Gamecocks from that aspect. So the point is, you should probably win at least two of those three games, and we'll go more in-depth on all of that as time wears on throughout this season. Now, let's look at how much this win means for this program in terms of what it does for the future of the program. Well, the obvious answer here is it shows progress is being made on the field. But of course, you are continuously seeing the South Carolina Gamecocks not play complete four quarters of football. But fear not, because there's a silver lining to that. When you're talking to recruits, blue-chip prospects from the 2024 class, the 2025 class, heck, even guys from the 2026 and 2027 class that these coaches are already having to develop relationships with, which is just insane to think about. But the point is, you can talk to these kids. You can sit them down and say, hey, listen, we know we're not Alabama. We know we're not Georgia. We know that we are not showing the absolute best that our team could be on the field every given Saturday, but... We have not hit our ceiling yet. 
And when we, and if we add you to this roster, if you come to this program, you'll make our ceiling even higher. And we will get you where you want to be at the end of your college football career. That is a pitch that this coaching staff can give. This kind of win really helps to emphasize and hammer home that pitch. Now, what does it do for the team going forward? Well, being Captain Obvious once again, it gives them more confidence. It validates to this team at the same time that Coach Weaver's culture and the operation in terms of how he wants things run, how he wants things to work in his building, it is all moving in the right direction. Everyone, it still feels like, is pulling in the same direction from the outside looking in. Now, of course, this doesn't solve all the problems. There are still certain areas and maybe some issues that, you know, need some kinks to be worked out. But they're winning in spite of that. And, of course, the old saying is winning cures all. Winning is definitely really helping the environment in the locker room right now. The guys seem like they're really enjoying playing with each other. They seem like they're sticking up for one another. They are happy for one another whenever they make a big play or score a touchdown in a game. And all that stuff is just as important as the numbers on the box score and getting a win in the win-loss column at the end of the day. Good teams do that all the time. South Carolina is now trying to work on being more consistent in terms of doing that. Now, admittedly, there is one negative that could come from this game. And again, it's not showing itself right now, but the fan base is going to find out this coming Saturday against the Missouri Tigers. That one negative, if there could be one from this win, which is complacency. The South Carolina Gamecocks have won four straight games for the first time since 2013. They're now ranked in the coaches' poll and the Associated Press poll for the first time in four years. They've ended the losing streak against Texas A&M. They defeated the Kentucky Wildcats in Lexington for the first time in 10 years. The Gamecocks have been ending a lot of bad streaks in their football program's history recently. This stuff continues to pile on for a team that, for the last few years, is not used to winning at this pace At some point, it will cross a threshold. At some point, the team will actually walk into a game expecting to win, but maybe not in the greatest way. Maybe looking down on their opponent. Maybe even thinking that we shouldn't even be taking the field against this team. I'm not saying South Carolina's going to do that to Missouri, but that was a very emotional game this past Saturday night. It's been a very emotional last couple of games for this team overall. So Missouri could turn to a big trap game now. It could. You have to look at it both ways. You have to look at both possibilities here. They could harness all of the success they've had the last few weeks and utilize that to propel themselves to more victories. Or they could get complacent. They could think now, hey, we have arrived. If you do that against a Missouri team, which look, they're in wounded animal mode right now. They are 3-4, and four, I believe, on the season. 3-3. Three and three. They're not a very good football team in terms of the win-loss record. They are improved on defense. They're not so high on offense. But they're going to come into this game expecting to defeat South Carolina. They're going to think that they can knock off the South Carolina Gamecocks on Saturday. You cannot be complacent about that aspect. And I'm going to touch on that even more on Tuesday's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast because that's going to do it for today's game recap edition of Locked on Gamecocks. What were y'all's thoughts on the Texas A&M game? How did you feel about the defense, the pressure they constantly brought 
in the pocket against Haynes King and Connor Wegman on Saturday night. How'd you feel about the offense? Again, another slow start, but they got things figured out in the second half. Do you think that this is a recipe that they could continue to utilize in future football games? And also, what do you think this win does for the future of the program? What do you think it does for them in the here and now, in present time? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts, as always, in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. You can also feel free to send me a message on Twitter at alion underscore SC, and I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And once again, I want to thank all of you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen today. Now, for your second listen today, I want you to go check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. That does it for today's show. I hope you all have a great rest of your Monday and a good start to the work week. I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.